All this beautiful melanin. Yes. Had me cry on that. Lift every voice and sing, man. I know. So yeah. Black yeah. nationalism for you guys who don't know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm so excited that that we could all have this conversation tonight. So I wanted to us to, us to all start off by just kind of um, saying what year we're from and in. I think we lost you for a second. Your audio, Tish. Yeah, thank you. Can you hear me? Yeah. Better, okay. I just, uh, I'll start by saying I graduated from ASDS in 2012. So and we can just go across from Carrie the yard and then we'll go down if you guys get like me. Okay, so I graduated in 2011. What's your name, girl? For those oh, my name is Carrie. Carrie. <laughs> <laughs> my name is Yamoria Wright. I graduated in 2016. Oh, my name is Darquea. Oh, sorry. My name is Connor and I graduated in 2013. My name is Kylie Y. Turner, and I graduated in 2015. My name is Giovanna Mundy, and I graduated uh, in 2015 as well. 
<laughs> All right, guys. Well, I think Tish wants me to pick it up from here. So I know you guys got the questions. Thank you so much for being here today. Yeah, we're really going to get into our bag tonight. Okay. I know everybody has a lot to say. And I just want to start off with saying that I don't, we don't take any of this lightly. Thank you so much for just even being willing to be on here and to speak your truth. So that's bold, but I know that the ASDS black folks, we bold, you know, <laughs> you have to be. So um, the first question that we have tonight is we want to ask, we want everybody to just go around and if you can just answer, how have you experienced institutional racism, either in ASDS or outside of ASDS? And did you feel supported as a person of color while you were in the program? So we can start off with Carrie and then we can all go around and speak our truth. Okay. Um, I, in terms of institutionalized racism, and I do, I do want to, I do feel like it's necessary to kind of like define the term, you know, um, that institutionalized racism is a systemic kind of law-based overarching kind of racism that um, allows other kinds of racism to kind of um, to continue and, and to perpetuate themselves, right? And so there's inter um, internalized racism, which um, people of color will have against about themselves. And then also there's interpersonal racism um, that happens on a more, um, one-to-one -one or, you know, like a, on a group level, right? Um, and so thinking about um, culturally or institutionally, I would say in education, I think that that's how I experienced um, institutional racism. Um, I grew up in, I grew up in Brooklyn, like born and raised Brooklynite. And um, I remember I didn't really like to read and I went home um, to Barbados, my family's from Barbados, and I remember my cousin brought this book and it was the first time I had ever seen black people in a book, you know, and it kind of changed my whole world. Like I started, I read from there, right? I was like six or seven, I, I read, I started reading because I saw people that looked like me, right? Um, and so I feel like that kind of started like a trend in my education. So um, I didn't see, see see people that look like me. I didn't learn um, information except for say February, you know, where you learn stuff, um, a certain like amount of stuff during Black History Month. Um, and um, going all the way up to my time at ASDS, right? So um, we were taught that theater started um, from like this Greco-Roman kind of history, you know? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, wait, there was theater way before that, storytelling way before that, you know? Um, but that was always the, the start of it. And um, I felt like when I did mention it or when and any of my classmates talked about like this need for um, people that looked like us, we were, we were pointed back to like 1950, 1950s, 1960s, um, and there was no acknowledgement that there were black people writing way before that, you know, it was, it was just like we were dropped in this like black arts, theater arts kind of thing. And that's, that's, that's the bubble where we were kept, um, or that art has evolved since then, you know? Um, so I would say that that's kind of how I've, um, 
experienced institutionalized racism. Um, and it didn't stop there. Like I'm a social worker now, you know, and um, I feel like that's just the standard, right? That that white um, authorities, they, they're listed as authorities, they're listed as the standards um, and voices of color are always thought of as this elective or the exception. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, I would say that that's how I've experienced institutionalized racism. And Carrie, did you did you feel supported as a person of color when you were in the program? I mean, I felt like it wasn't I, it wasn't really talked about, you know. And I and I um, I was accepted as a person, but my I think my my history or um, just the fact that I'm black was never brought into the room. And so, um, you know, I've been talking a lot of, about that creating a safe space. Like if if the the space isn't doesn't feel safe, you're not going to talk about it, right? So I feel like it was never, um, never spoken. Yeah. Thank you so much, Carrie. Um, yeah. Hey, can you hear me okay? Yes. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, it's it's actually Yamoria, the space. Oh, I'm, I'm so sorry. Yamoria. Yeah. Been dealing with it, with it my whole life, which is a great segue to institution. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great segue, which is absolutely. Uh, I grew up in the Bay Area in California. Um, per, didn't grow up around a lot of black people at all. Uh, any of the community in the Bay Area that's black, a lot of them, you're going to find them in the East Bay. So Oakland or, or you're going to find them in San Francisco, Hayward out there. Um, so anyways, I grew up always feeling other. Um, the first time I was called the N-word was in first grade. Um, and my teacher just literally like kind of wiggled her finger at the boy and said, that's not nice. And there was nothing that happened to him. So I remember feeling other my whole life, but it wasn't until I was in college, undergrad, uh, Santa Clara University out here, that I began to realize that my blackness was something other people found reprehensible you know, or disgusting or they that they wanted to avoid. I never felt that until I was an undergrad. Um, and there was a time, you know, it's a part of my story. It's a hard thing to say, but there was a time I was, I had just turned 18. I was about a week into undergrad and I was a commuter student for most of my time in undergrad. And I told, I asked my parents, I said, did you ever ask, did you ever think about why God made us black? And they were like, and I said, because I'm a good person. And just because of what I look like, nobody wants to get to know me at school, in college. Like all these people from Oregon, it was a private Jesuit school. So I got all the rich kids and they don't, they don't want to get to know me. Did you ever, like, why, why me? Why me? And that actually began the beginning of my journey to becoming and, and loving myself as a black woman. But it actually started with me realizing that other people did not see the beauty in it and that it was something that many of them thought was to be avoided. And so yes, in grad school, I experienced that otherness immensely. And there were very few spaces I could go to that felt safe. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, I mean, I think that's kind of like a collective experience, you know? Um, and I'll, I'll jump in because uh, I jumped off, guys, but I'll, um, I'll come over here really quickly. Um, and then Giovanna will 
we'll let you um, kind of explain your experience. Um, did someone just jump off? Oh, I think Carrie, but she probably lost, um, I lost signal, so she probably lost the signal too. Can you guys hear me? Yes. Okay, good. So um, I, I, what I will say about um, institutional racism is that I definitely experienced institutional racism very young. I was a very um, active and creative child. And a lot of my teachers, I'm from the South, so a lot of my teachers, they didn't know what to do with that. You know, so their, their solution was to put me on Adderall. Uh, if anybody knows anything about Adderall, uh, it is it wipes your memory, which I'm still dealing with the side effects of that now. But it just turns out that I was just a highly active person. I'm an extremely focused person. I was on Adderall from the time I was seven to the time I was 14. And um, it, it wasn't really needed. It's just that they just didn't understand how to articulate. They didn't take the time to talk to me or see what my interest was. Or, you know, they didn't know that I was playing baseball in a community center because they never asked me, you know, they didn't know that, you know, I was excited because I was taking swim classes. Like they didn't know anything about me. They just saw this really excited, really, you know, happy child. And um, they were just like, oh, it's just too much energy for us. So, uh, yeah, she needs to be on Adderall. <laughs> um, and it was. Uh, to this day, my mom said the worst decision she's ever made um, because she took the advice of an institution that really just wasn't set up. And I was I was uh, one of the few people of color who were there. So there were no there wasn't any support there for people like me. There wasn't any counselors there for people like me. And I will say similarly, when I was at the actor studio, the biggest thing for me was not being able to explore. <laughs> and, and I'm going to be uh, quite honest about this is it's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. Um, I am currently very much married. I'm currently I have a family, you know, uh, you know, it's hundreds of thousand dollars of student debt. And I was in finance. So I quit my I quit my job because this was my dream. And not that I'm not living my dream. This is the thing. I'm living, I'm living my dream. I love what I do right now. Um, but what I will say is, is that to spend all that money and not to be able to have a full experience as a person of color, not be able to have support, not to be able to um, look at the new playwrights that I, I was looking at at the time and to be able to just jump in it because the voices were so familiar to me. I'm like, oh, this sounds like something that I want to explore uh, had been the biggest thing. It was always no. And for me, being a very practical person, I'm thinking, I thought to myself, like, I'm spending a lot of money not to be able to be 100% the artist that I wanted to be at the time. I wanted, I, I wanted to be a full-blown artist. And I feel like that experience, um, it wasn't there. And um, you know, I think part of that has to do with you really wanting it and having grit. But the other part is that um, you have to have the tools, you know, uh, to be able to support uh, people of all nationalities and backgrounds and um, to help them fully realize their voice so they can be equipped for this very, very difficult world.
So um, I didn't have that. I don't feel like I had that. I fought very hard to do my thesis. <laughs> I think a lot of people probably say that. Uh, I went to the, you know, my year, we went to the playwright ourselves who fully supported us, fully supported us. We went out there, we did it ourselves. That was the grit part, right? The grit part everybody always talks about is not just about colors, about the grit, whatever. I don't care about that. <laughs> like at the end of the day, you know, I went out there, I did it. And, you know, God bless the teachers there because they were fantastic. Um, and I'm not, I, in no way am I going to say anything negative about anybody because that's just not my MO. But what I will say is, is that, um, you know, had it not been for some of them, I probably wouldn't have stayed in the program, honestly, because uh, the lack of support for my, my stories. So that's, that's my uh, uh, two cents. So Giovanna, I would love to kind of sure. talk it over to you, hon. Um, my experience with institutional racism. I think I was really lucky in how I was raised um, in a black, all black city. So I, I come from Atlanta and um, went to all black schools, my, all of my, most of my grade school. I hopped from New York to here, but I was mainly rooted there. So I had a, I, I knew that black was beautiful from the moment, <laughs> like I had black teachers telling me that every day. Um, lift every voice and sing was what we what we um, praised at the schools that I went to. And so I actually had an identity crisis when I became older and came to New York. And um, I went to Fordham University and, and then later on with the pace. And that's where things started. I started to question everything about my blackness because I never, <laughs> I never was in a situation where I had to. I think I think I was really blessed in that way, um, and I think my biggest experience has always been with curriculum. Even when I was, um, you know, in the black schools in Atlanta, the curriculum is just not it, the educational institutions across the board, all across America, are a problem because they don't they don't spit facts. They're not telling us about our black history. They, and so. I mean, all of my black teachers were pulling from, you know, their HBCUs. They were, they were, they were teaching us stuff they learned at HBCUs. They weren't teaching us stuff that was in the books. You know, a lot of the stuff that was in the books, they would support it with the works that they learned from HBCUs. So, um, I, I mean, for me, education is huge. I'm a huge advocate advocate of education and educational arts. So, from that has always been the problem. And I think when I went to ACS. Um, as a black actor um, who's just trying to understand, because I started in business and fashion. That's where I started. I went to Fordham and I studied business and fashion and I worked in business and fashion for five years before I decided to become an actor and go to school for that. And I just, on a, uh, I looked at the top schools and I was like, whatever school I get in on this list, that's the one I'll do. An actor studio just happened to be the one that gave me a chance. Um, however, going through the process, it, was it a chance uh, or just a, an opportunity to take my money? Um, honestly, I don't really know how I feel after going through the process. I, it's just, I didn't learn much about how to navigate this business, um, how to navigate this business as a woman of color. There was no support. We don't get, um, we don't get a, 
a card, you know? I mean, there's no there's no opportunity to go do stage work on, on, your, on the graduate level so that you can get your card. So I, just for me, I just feel like it, it didn't support me in any way. I didn't really get anything out of it as far as that. And I just remember being in Coco's class and wondering like, where are all these black playwrights? There's only one Latin playwright, Lorca, that's it. That's all you're giving me. We have all these, you know, white playwrights um, and Shakespeare is God. Um, and I, I remember I was like, you know what? Uh, a, a classmate of mine had put me onto the Labyrinth Theater Company and he told me to come see Dominic Morisau's uh, play at the time there called Sunset Baby. And um, I was like, okay, I'm, she was like, hey, yeah, come check out my girl, she's dope. So I come out and I, and I meet Dominic and she was like, you know, let's, you know, if you ever want to talk to me about anything, you ever want to, you know, just let me know. It's so nice to meet you. So I reach out to her because I was in this history class with Coco and I'm like, no black playwrights? Like, what about the woman playwrights? And I'm like trying to figure out. So I reach out to her to get names of black female playwrights and black playwrights. I remember reaching out to her because I was so confused that there was only like four on the list. And for me, that is, that's such a disservice to a graduate school that's asking, Fifty thousand dollars from from you, you know what I mean? Like fifty thousand a year—that's how much they're asking, and they don't have any of the people that she named on that list. She was like, "They're not. You need to have. You need to be reading this. You need to be reading this. Make sure you go back to that school and advocate for these playwrights. Make sure that they put that in in in, in the um, curriculum because, you know, if you don't know who these people are, you know." And I'm just like taken aback because I'm this for me everything is new everything was new I was just trying to understand the industry I was trying to learn about the industry no business classes no no business classes and you know these are a lot of people of color who go to these institutions they don't have the money for that they're coming from or at least I was let me speak for myself I I don't don't have the money you know I just had the dream that was it and so I would say the correct, I, I would say the educational system is a failure. And especially one when it comes to these um, theater institutions. Yeah, thank you. Um, thank you, Giovanna. I think um, that's kind of like really, um, I think the whole point of having this conversation. And I mean, I don't want you guys to be really, to be shy because I'm going to, piece, you know. Um, so Callie, am I saying that you're right your name right? I hate Kylie. 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 So I'm gonna turn it over to you, honey. I really want to hear more about your your experience as well. Cause I know I I saw your video, hun. <laughs> yeah, I saw your video. And I was like, all right, sis. <laughs> I like to I like to sprinkle my facts with a little bit of comedy just so you know it goes down a little bit easier. <laughs> <laughs> but it's all facts, all facts. Um, hmm. The first time that I encountered institutionalized racism, I feel like the first time that I encountered it, I, it was probably I was probably a baby because I think about some of the nursery rhymes that we sing and how we don't even realize what they're rooted in. Mm -hmm. 
um, or maybe a child, because I think about children's songs that we sing that are rooted in <laughs> racism uh, and how we don't even realize what it is we're saying because that's how they get us, right? They get us to do it to ourselves and to also perpetuate without even knowing that we're perpetuating. Um, I would say the cartoons that I watched, Disney, I'm a, I love Disney, but Disney is problematic AF, <laughs> okay? Uh, Looney Tunes, I love the Looney Tunes, but Tom and Jerry is problematic AF. Like, like it's, <laughs> it's embedded in everything that we do. So much so that we don't even realize when we're first encountering it. So I would say that would probably be the first time that I encountered it. I didn't even know. But knowingly, um, for me, so I, I'm Black Indigenous. I grew up in Mashpee, um, where we, thankfully, they just won um, the case that Trump tried to take their land. So that's where I'm from. Um, the Wampanoags, I'm Nipmuc, my cousins are Wampanoag. Um, and I would probably say the first time that I encountered institutionalized racism that I was aware of was down the Cape in Mashpee by the Wampanoag Indians because I'm a black indigenous. Um, and I don't, like now that I'm older, I have a better understanding of where that came from, right? Because it's, it, that's just the long arm of white imperialism, white institutionalized racism um, because the BIA, which is the Bureau of Indian Affairs, uh, you have to, as a as an indigenous nation, you have to apply to them to be federally recognized or recognized by your state. And only the federally recognized tribes are the ones or nations are the ones that are able to apply for like a casino or something like that for all y'all out there who don't really know what the hell you're talking about, about Native Americans and getting a check where and who send it to me please because niggas ain't getting one <laughs> let's just put that out there i don't know where you're getting your information but we ain't getting one <laughs> like like okay <laughs> um but I, yeah i would definitely save them because i signed up for this native american dance competition and i remember going back to my mother's stand because she was working it and she told me not to dance and um my mother is a very, very pale skinned woman of color who has hazel eyes and was born with like blonde reddish hair. So most of, oftentimes growing up, people didn't even know that was my mother. Um, so I remember going back to the stand and her telling me like, they don't want you to dance because, and then just finally saying it, they don't even think you're Indian. That was literally like what she said to me, even though my grandmother was a very well-known woman of the community, like to like today in 2020, my uncle is the medicine man of that tribe. Um, so that was like, that was a gut punch. And that was like, well, if I'm not indigenous and I, this is how I was raised over here, then what am I? And when I moved to Boston, that's when I found my acceptance was like, oh, I'm black. <laughs> like I'm a light skinned, Black girl, even though I'm more than that, you know what I mean? But that's where I found acceptance. And that's where I was able to, to like, 
number one, feel like the love and support of community, but also see the turmoil within ourselves as well. And I was like, damn, this is not just an indigenous thing. Um, this is not just a black thing. Uh, and my father was also in the military. My father was in the Navy during the Vietnam War. Vietnam War. Um, and he told me stories about how white imperialism has reached its long arm across the ocean. Uh, real story in the Philippines, he was at someone's house and they offered him a chair that had a hole in the back for his tail. Because yeah, because white soldiers told Philippine people, told Japanese soldiers when they were in Japan that black people had tails, they were told not to serve them. Like, it's real, you know, like it's real and it has stretched all across the world and that's why you see people bleaching their skin in Africa, bleach it, you see, you see Asian people who wanna whitewash their family and thin out their damn nose. You see, you know what I mean? Like it's, <laughs> where is it not? So I feel like those are, those are my very wide eyed opening experiences of institutionalized racism and how far its reach has spanned. Wow, girl, that's a, you know, I, what I admire about that also is that it's, it's such a different and unique experience, you know? Um, I think sometimes, you know, like, uh, when you have like family members who are sometimes from like a different country uh, con country or tribe or whatever, but we all have the same like black experience, you know, it's something unique and wonderful about that. So I'm just happy, girl. I was sitting here smiling. I was like, this is so <laughs> good to hear your voice and to really hear your story. So I'm happy that you, you were able to tell us a lot more about that. Cause I, I I was wondering about that when you did your um your live because you really went in girl so I, I, yeah you 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 went in I was like okay, you better you better speak your truth I'm calling I felt like you know I'm calling out everybody and I also like when I finally did hear that the Mashpee Wampanoags were like down at the rodeo um, protesting as well holding up their Black Lives Matter sign I, I put under my cousin's comments it's about damn time. Because <laughs> know some of y'all are like darker than me, and a lot of y'all got black in you, so you need to get your butts out there and do what you need to do. <laughs> right, like, colorism right. is a real thing, and yeah, yeah, it is. <laughs> so it's um, because it's systematic, exactly. Yeah, it's exactly. But um, Dakoya, yes, ma'am. Okay, yes. so um, I don't know if. Well, I know that you've seen it because Giovanna, I didn't see the Dear White American Theater post, the kind of general post that's been circulating. Um, and as far as my experience with institutional racism, it really, I wasn't even aware of how American white theater has oppressed me literally my entire life. Um, when I read that letter, it just, it did something to me because for me, I've always wanted to act. I mean, my parents thought I was gonna be a doctor and I was like, no, but I've always done theater. So I'm also from this, um, I'm from Richmond, California, which is the San Francisco Bay area. So I know, yes, 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 you were, yes. 
Um, and so the Bay, I would say, is more diverse than other areas. However, everybody is segregated. So um, back in the day when I was growing up, Richmond and Oakland, black all day every day. And so when my parents got a divorce, my dad lived in Richmond in the hood and my mom lived in like upper middle class Pinole area. Yamora, you can you you know. So um I've always had a duality um kind of going on where I was always the only black girl in the room when I went to do theater. And um but then I also have my folks folks in the hood so um i started i've been i've always done theater like i used to do classical i used to sing classical music from the time i was like 12 up and i started doing musical theater at i think it was like 13. um and i remember um being in this white dominated theater program community theater program and they would always say like as far as um, how they were casting and we were kids, you guys, like as far as like how they were casting people, it was always like, you got to pay your dues. You got to pay your dues. Cause they always cast the same white girl, the same white guy. And I just remember I was like, oh, okay, I got to pay my dues. Cause everybody does yada, yada, yada. And it was like systemic oppression because I remember I did, I was there for a couple of years, maybe like two or three. And finally, I mean, doing all of their plays, you know, like Joseph and the amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. And, you know, I don't know what was another one I did, like Annie, get your gun or something like that. And finally, they did the whiz. So I knew when they did the win. And I, the thing is, is y'all, I always sang better than everybody. I was always <laughs> bolder than everybody. Y'all know me in grad school. Girl, you know I don't care. I was like, up, I'm here, I'm loud. And I just remember when I went to the auditions and I just knew they were going to give me Dorothy because I was the only black girl there. And it was another black guy. And they did the whiz. And they cast me as Adderall. So I remember my dad, when I told him that they cast me as Adderall, he said, what? He said, oh, no, 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 uh-uh. He literally took, said, you not doing another play there. Like, I don't care, you're way too talented. And he moved me to um, Contra Costa College. There was a theater program and you could do stuff there with the college, even if you were in high school. And I, re I remember there was this like beautiful gay man named Clay David who loved every black part of me. Every also because I wasn't, didn't fit a mold. I was a very, a very chunky kid. So I didn't fit this mold. He said, you are black, you are big, you are beautiful and you are talented. And he put me right in the center. And every time I thought I was giving it to, to him, he was like, no, I need more. I need more, I need more. And so that was the first time I actually like, and I didn't even know it was happening cause I was a kid, but that was the first time that my blackness because it's this other, it's, it's the othered, right? We all like othered, you know? And so he was othered and he just embraced all of that. And that really just like allowed me to just be proud that I was black in theater, be proud of my boldness and really, it really kind of, I didn't realize, but it set me up for all of the adversity that I was gonna go through as an artist. Um, but as far as institutional racism, I mean, 
I've always been the only one. And so when I read that letter, it just ignited something within me because I was like, this is my story. This is my story. I'm always having to do their stuff, learn about, you know, white theater, I mean, white history. Um, and I mean, thank God for my mother because she didn't play. Like we had our history in school that they, sorry, the history in school. And when we came home, she was like, okay, hey, this is what they tell you, but this is really who you are because my mom's from Mississippi and she didn't play no game. She was like, let me tell you something. You come from people who are hardworking, innovative, creative. Um, even when slaves were freed, she was like, you know, um, you know, the quote, if they, if they only knew that they were free in their mind, like freedom, we have to create those, those ways of like freedom, even in, in our oppression. Mm -hmm. And so when I was at the actor studio drama school, I'm a very sensitive person. You know, I, I love most people I meet, um, even though I probably shouldn't. And I'm always open. You know, my mom always taught me, listen, all white people aren't bad. You know, some some black people are very have been very traumatized by their experience with white people and they're not even able to interact with white people and develop any type of trust. And my mom didn't want that for us because she wanted me and my sister to be able to navigate um, navigate the world in a way that we could still be confident and win, you know, not to allow that oppression to like weigh us down. And so she just told us all white people aren't bad, but some are oppressive and they're racist. So um, I just kind of learned how to exist as being the only one, you know, your parents always tell you, you have to be better because even when you're better, it's still not even going to be valued or seen. So you always give, always, you always present and give black excellence. Like that's not even a choice. When you wake up and you leave your house, you are excellent. When you do something, you are efficient because that's just the way that it is. So I just existed in that way. And when I went, I, I went to undergrad for theater at um, UC Riverside and then I went to Pace to get my master's and theater was always gonna be my thing. I've always done theater, like I said before. But being in the program, like Giovanna said, first off, there's like layers to this, right? So, and I don't care, honestly, because I'm going to speak it. Um, ASDS, just in general, if you're not even black, I know our white counterparts who were on this live will say the same thing. It doesn't even, it doesn't prepare anybody for the industry. So let's just let's just let's just make it plain. It's too much money for what they give you. Period. Point blank. That it just is what it is. Okay. Um, yes, you want to learn how to explore your instrument. Yes, you want to know what toolbox that you need. You know to be able to get up and to act or write or whatever you need to do. But unlike NYU or Juilliard, there is no bridge. There is no bridge. And, and it's really ridiculous because this is New York City. There is so many, there are so many external resources that even if you, even if they didn't want to provide it like one-on-one, -on -one, why didn't nobody tell us to go to one-on-one? -on -one? 
You don't want to bring the agents? I remember I was like, I came with a, with a list of agents and I was like, oh, um, can we invite them? And, you know, they always was like, okay, Darquea, like, cause I, you know, I was always, mm, mm, mm. but my thing about it is, is like, you know, uh, uh, why did nobody tell us to go to one-on-one? Like, I just don't understand that. And so the price tag is too high. So that's just for everybody. Okay. Then being a black woman or a black man, you have the fact you have that on top of not being able to fully exercise your instrument. I remember um, whenever you want to whenever you want to um, go up and present in class, it's like, oh, you can't do that because we don't have any black men. Um, oh, we can't do that because uh, we don't we don't know. I remember I was like, oh, do you have any suggestions? A white person comes up, asks, you know, all of the white teachers, oh, what do you suggest? They get a list. I go up. It's like, why don't you do? It's like four things, four things. And then if they don't know what to tell you, what to do, girl, you know, I'm going in, Giovanna, Giovanna, Giovanna. So my whole thing about and then if you don't know, if they don't have, you know, it's like what? Um, I'm not knocking Lynn Nottage, but it's like everybody doesn't want to do the same five plays. And then if they don't know what to tell you what to do, they want. And I'm not knocking Edward Al Baker. He actually lives here in my building, y'all. So that's kind of like a lucky habit. <laughs> we love you, Edward Allen Baker. But my thing about it is, is why does every black person have to do Edward Allen Baker? Because he particularly it's just like cultural appropriation like just because he you know his characters are based off of um you know white people on a lower socioeconomic bracket then now we should do it because we're black and they're a little bit gritty what no miss me with that that's a hot mess times two and i can't deal with that so that's that's that and then and the money and love what else? And just, you know, all this stuff. And, oh, oh, and, and I remember, I think Evan, Evan, you commented on this. Evan, didn't you have to do something? I mean, you know, you really can't comment back. But I think me and Evan did something where um, it was like, because I didn't have a black man, he had to do, like, play a black man. Yeah. Evan, it was like, it, it wasn't, we didn't present it, but it was like in, in scene study. Okay, he's clapping. Evan, yes. So my whole thing about it is, is that is oppressive within itself. I have to do a scene. <laughs> Thank you, Callie. I have to do a scene with a white man acting acting like a black man, and then you want to take, like Giovanna said, my money? Like, oh no. And let me tell you, by the grace of God, y'all, I have like made peace with that. Like, peace with my receipt, not my degree, but my receipt. You know what I'm saying? Um, I've had to have a whole paradigm shift as far as ASDS it was concerned. I mean, I met Tish. She's my best friend and my business partner. And so I've found ways to not have mental damage off of the systemic oppression. But that is that I mean, that's what we do as black people. We rise in the midst of adversity. We still rise. But for the next generation that's coming up, something has got to change. First off, that program just needs to change for everyone. I'm sorry, the lower the price, maybe you need to be like a year conservatory program. Yep, Carrie, you know, um, and let it be what it is. Cause I could have went to yoga and meditated and yep. Yeah, Cause you know, come on, 
Come on, Yamoria. You know what I'm saying? I could have went to yoga and meditated for a couple years and took one, one acting class a week, a week and I would have got the same thing. So, you know, um, it's just really a natural born hot mess. And, um, you know, I was really upset. I just had so many, so many emotions going on when I read that Dear White American Theater because I think that's, that's it, right? That's the systemic part. It's not ASDS, it's the problem with white American theater as a whole. Um, and so, um, no, I did not feel supported. I would like some reparations. And if somebody wants to go ahead and, um, you know, hopefully with all this stuff that's happening, we get, you know, cause I know my student loans are on hold in the midst of the pandemic, glory be to God. Okay. But um, they can go ahead and run the black people back some money and they can run the white people back some money too. Honestly, that's how much I feel financially right. So there you go, Tish. And thank you so much for hosting this event, Tish, and for giving us all a space to really, um, really heal and, and, and move forward. So I digress. <laughs> thank you, girl. <laughs> I feel it. I'm... <laughs> Hold up. The black auntie cackles are about to have. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you got you got people in the comments quoting you. I could have gone yes, to yoga right. and taken one. Oh, I can quote you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Jeremiah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, it's hilarious. But you know, you know what I want to also talk about, guys, and I think it's kind of like um, the thing that kind of brought us all to this experience is George Floyd, right? He is the reason why everybody's reacting to institutional racism, to racism as a whole. And I really want to hear your opinion on how his murder has really, because I'm going to, I'm going to say this. I've always been an already an advocate for black people. I mean, y'all already knows, like when she was in school, I was like, sis, this is what you got to do. This is what you got to do. Dark Hoy, no, sis, this is what you got to do. Javana, we work, we work together. You know, I'm like, sis, this is what you got to do. But has, do you feel like, you know, outside of trying to, it, trying to, to help everybody who keeps asking you, like, what can we do to help, right? Do you feel like it kind of woke something up inside of you? You know, did it, did it do something to you outside? I don't what we already see on a daily basis, right? So I um yeah, that's the that's the question. Honestly, um I'm sorry, I just took it. Uh honestly, I, I just I feel like I've been awoke. <laughs> I've been woke. Um you know, I work for a restorative justice organization anyway. So like I don't know, I I, I feel like as black people, we we've been doing this. Um, so I just feel like the shift, if, if we're talking about a shift, the shift is the uprising, I think itself has taken on a new form. I think there's some rebirthing happening because um, we already know about the roots and we understand the revo revolution. Um, and I think it changes. There's an ebb and a flow to, the, to what that uprising looks like every century. You know. Um, I don't know. I feel, I feel like there was the 60s, right? And now we're going through a, a new thing because 
you know, technologies involved. That wasn't around. Um, it creates a whole new way of um, conversation, discussion, dialogue, how, how things are found out quickly. I mean, just with Alabama, there was that rumor that um, KKKs were coming to kill a all the black people in Birmingham just a week ago, right? And it was a rumor um, and they were talking about shutting down the city for the evening, I guess. And so it didn't happen. And I think, I think personally, I feel like it didn't happen because it's so quick. It, it, it was like wildfire on Twitter and people were talking about it so quickly. And I think that, that, you know, just like there's a shift because of technology, there's a shift. I mean, just, we just tired and there's, there's always going to be that shift. I think until, until stuff is, until we free. There's always going to be a new type of uprising until we're free, and I think technology has just boosted it. Um, and we tired of, you know, like you get bombarded with this every day. It's too much. It is exhausting. It is exhausting. So, uh, um, just a quick question. Someone asked, "Did do do you guys regret doing the program?" Just quick answers, please. That would be um, no. It's I met all of y'all. I don't regret it. Yeah. I, yeah. I agree. Like, sometimes I, I'm like, uh, why did I go? But I know that it's all a part of my experience. Like, every successful person always says that when they are fully walking within their purpose, that everything made makes sense. And I know that ASDS played a part in who I am today and the artist yeah. that I am. So um, I don't I don't regret it. Yeah, I think for me, ASDS definitely, it, first, first and foremost, it, for those of us that are not from New York, it brought us to New York. So, mm -hmm. I mean, like, I know for me, it was definitely like, a, I think I got into this and one other program and I chose this one because of the actor studio, the Inside the Actor Studio which, and the Alvin Ailey, uh, <laughs> collab. Word, I can take classes at Avenelli. <laughs> so honestly, those are like the things that I was like, okay, I'm gonna choose this one. But I, I think, I think that it was great to get me here to New York, and it was great for the relationships that I have made, both in school and out of school. And I, and I don't think, had you know, had any of us gone and gone any place else, like like Corey was just saying, like that would have been a different path. So. Yeah, uh, Carrie, also, I did want to say yes, I don't regret it. And I feel like I also wanted to answer like the other question really quickly that I feel like I'm like the opposite of you, Javana. Like, I feel like I've been I've been sleep, right? I've been really quiet and silent, you know, like, <laughs> I feel like this um, George Floyd, Ahmaud Aubrey, Breonna Taylor, like, I feel like it, for me, has made me like have to use my voice. Like I would normally not be a part of anything like this, right? But I need to, um, I don't know, think about like internalized racism, how this has affected me and how am I by my silence allowing this to be perpetuated, like allowing this to continue. Like I, I think for me, it, it it has made me desire to, to, to find out what's going on in here for me. Like how has this affected me mentally and um, to help be a change agent, which I haven't done before. Yeah. No, I, I definitely um, think um, uh, one thing that I was thinking about
you all were saying this, a lot of people, right, they're asking, well, what can we do? You know, how can we help? So um, one question that I wanted to ask to everyone is what advice would you give to our allies, people who, who want to help in the fight of racial injustice? What do you want to say to them? And how do you, um, what do you think that they can do right now and in the future to kind of help push um, push the movement forward? <laughs> Kelly, I gotta, I, I, I can't, I can't. So I gotta, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta mute and hear what you have to say because your, your whole thing right there. <laughs> I have very, I have very unorthodox. <laughs> ways about me sometimes. Uh, I feel like, okay, so, because we're just being real, we're just keeping it 100. So y'all just know I'm keeping it 100. Like, if we're talking about Black allies and how they can help, um, I would, well, first and foremost, I would say that I'm not the type of person that is going to condemn any type of help. So if your help is protesting, if your help is donating to bail funds, if your help is sharing petitions online, if your help is looting, whatever that is, I do not condemn any type of protest because I truly believe that we need it all and there would not have been some of the moves that we've seen made so quickly without like specifically the looting. Um, so I don't condemn anybody's protest. Um, and I would say as black people, make sure to also take care of yourself um, because this is a marathon, not a sprint. Um, protect your energy and just, just survive. Just, you know what I'm saying? Your protest is to survive. <laughs> so I really don't expect nothing from you, but your survival. Now, if we're speaking non-black allies, <laughs> that's a, that's a little different. Um, I would, I would beg you, or I would not. Let me hit a, a what about Robert Sorrell? Uh, <laughs> I, I invite you. <laughs> I invite you to do whatever protest works for you. That is an actionable movement, right? So you can't just share stuff, you know, and not donate or not talk to your friends and family at home, not talk to your racist uncle in the cut or whatever. So you need to have those in-house conversations as well as out-of-house conversations. I would also say when you are reaching out to a black or a brown or a red, <laughs> even yellow, okay? When you are reaching out, <laughs> please bear in mind, we've got a lot on our shoulders right now and we need to protect our energy and we also want you to realize that it is that that allyship is a journey not a destination you are not going to be right all the time you are going to be called out even as an ally because we just want to make sure that you're getting it right you know we try to keep you on the right path um get you from being listed um, you know, like Amy Cooper or something. Um, <laughs> um, and I would say for ASDS, give us all our equity cards, all of us, that's whites, blacks, browns, reds, yellows, and purples, 
Um, we need that yesterday. Uh, refund us some money. We need that yesterday too. Um, change up your career. Do everything that was mentioned on this panel and and the unorthodox thing that I'm going to throw in there that I mentioned <laughs> Javon and Javon and you're more about to because <laughs> I said this to them earlier. I was like, I think, I think that ASDS should do like the Pope and wash all of their black alumni's feet and their <laughs> students. I I do. I think that you should wash our feet. Um, I I personally would love a little rub while you do it. Um, you know my tendons, but I feel like the Pope does it as a show of respect and humility, and I would love to see it. That's all I got. <laughs> Jess, I see you with what advice you have for recent graduates. Can I can I get in there? Can I get in there with that one, Giovanna? I can. Okay. Um, Jess, create your own content. Don't ask nobody for an opportunity. This is a whole different world. Let me tell you something, Jess. Artisha Man Cooper told me in grad school to start a web series. She said, Darquoia, you're so talented. You're so extra. Create your own content. And I was like, no, because I'm an actress and I'm really trying to just like, you know, really just go into my thing. No. Now, like... X amount of years later, now I like have a YouTube channel. Now I have a kids motivational album, but something had to switch within me because a lot of artists, we we don't, and I'll speak for myself, I didn't have that entrepreneurship um, quality to myself yet. I've always been a hustler, but I, I wasn't ready to be an entrepreneur. I just wanted to be an artist. And I see that a lot with a lot of artists. And I was one of them where there's just a disconnect. You have to be a business person first because it doesn't matter if nobody sees it. You don't have to wait for an audition anymore. You could create a skit on Instagram and blow up. You could, I mean, there's a girl, she doing her monologues and stuff like that. And don't get me wrong, content creation is a full-time job. Everybody thinks it's super easy. I mean, it, it is exhausting. Um, however, while you're hustling, trying to get auditions, create your own content because people are on there. Like, I mean, people connect with you on social media all the time. I mean, it's a whole different world. So create your own content, whether it's a YouTube show, whether it's, you know, anything and just figure out how to take whatever gifts and talents you have, not just acting, not just writing, but figure out, especially now because of the pandemic, the pandemic is going to change things. And what I want to tell you is money never leaves. It just changes hands. That's historic. What's going to happen right now. And, I, you know, I really need to talk about this on social media. What's going to happen right now, and you're going to see it, is things have have infrastructures have have fallen there's businesses they're going they're they're going out of business but what that means is that there are going to be, there are going to be all of these opportunities to make money and let me tell you something cuz Jess you black 
girl, it is never going to be a better time to be black than when we get out of this pandemic. I'm going to tell you, it's going to be a great time to be black because you see it with the companies now. They're all talking about, you know, making statements and whatnot. There are going to be all of these initiatives and reforms, not everybody, but a lot of people. And it's going to be a great time to be black, but you have to put yourself in a position to be found. You have to prepare as if the opportunity is already there. Get the headshot, get the reel, get the website. And I'm talking to myself because I'm, I'm getting in my bag. You know, the next year you're going to see a lot of things, create the content, even if it's just you in front of your iPhone and just know that you are enough right here, right now. Even if you got a rink-a-dink phone, rink-a-dink computer, even if you just here, you are enough right here, right now. And you can, you, you really can shine and you need to get the money and capitalize on white guilt. I don't care. I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it. Capitalize. That is your reparation. Jess and every and let me tell you capitalize on it okay you you're gonna go in the room and the thing about it is it's going to be a thing even without it being a thing you're gonna see you're gonna go into rooms and they're gonna be like oh I don't want to be that type I'm not that type of white person and you're gonna be like okay you're gonna see it's gonna speak for you when it comes to your salary it's gonna speak for you when it comes to opportunity and you use it Cause you deserve it and someone fought marched and died for you to get it but put yourself in a position girl jess and that's what i have to say about that uh, also guys just some a little bit of practical advice when i was in school when i was in asds i met Issa Rae, i met Irina finley i met denia guerrera and I met them all at different points and the things that they told me about that they had in their program was this is for you asds was first and foremost they had their headshot their resume they had a real before they got out of there they and this is the biggest thing they went to one-on-one one-on-one allowed their students to get into the program and they paid for three classes because everyone knows that one-on-one has all these casting directors, all these directors, all these writers. So before these kids got out of school, they had three classes with professionals that they could put on their resume, three people who've already seen them. And some of them even got cast. I remember Edwina told me she had gotten two commercials, voiceover commercials. She didn't even think of voiceovers. She went to a class and they asked her to do a voiceover because of her voice. So the tools that people need, and also send out all these people's resumes and headshots to all the theater, all the theater companies, send it out to all the casting directors, you know, because casting directors are the one that, that's going, that you need to know, you know, the casting directors, forget the agents and managers, forget them, forget them, forget them, okay? Like, you know, actor studio, you know, get it together and do it for these kids for the next Tishka, generation. Can I say one thing to the act to the actor studio drama school at Pace University? <laughs> you all and I'm so serious and I might get emotional because I feel very strongly about this from my own experience. You need to learn to be okay with black women being great. You need to learn to be okay with black women being great. One more time. You need to learn to be okay with black women being great. Because what that school has done to many black women not here 
because you haven't even heard our stories, is break us down to the point that a lot of women had to leave, had to either leave before they were finished or created content because they didn't because their uh, artistic esteem and their personal esteem was so low that it seemed the only way to be able to to for their voice to be heard and it worked in their favor but you need to learn to be okay sometimes and white women please do not be offended but listen sometimes the blonde is not the most talented actress in the room regardless of what society taught you. So if you learn to be okay with black women being great, then the stories that we have seen circulating on Facebook, the stories that have yet to be told, and even forums like this, we can be speaking, we can be speaking differently about our experiences and we can begin to really grow and heal, but you have to learn to let them be okay. And all of that advice that Tish is giving you means that you might find that most of the people who excel are the black women in your programs and not just your select black men that you admire. You mm. might find that some of them are the black women that excel. Be okay with that because we are still from your school. And I'll tell you something, if y'all ain't, some of y'all don't have black women in your lives, when we rock with you, we rock with you. And if you treat us right, we gonna treat you right. So treat the black women in your program right and be okay with them being great. That's how I have it. Um, FYI, just to throw out my little resume thing, you know, I've been in about a thousand auditions. You know, I've casted plenty of people of color. FYI, just throwing it out there, ASDS. So I have, um, I have experience, you know, and I'm the person that, you know, will be in the casting room looking for these young people. So mm -hmm. hopefully you will also start maybe even having conversations with alumni, you know, Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, I, was, I, was, I was literally going to say that. I was literally going to say that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, filled with black, black women, filled with your black community, just in general. Um, also, ASDS, you need to have a showcase in LA. Like, what the hell? How come we had to fight to, to even bring that up? And then we still didn't get a showcase in LA. Why would we not have a showcase in LA? Y'all have a whole spot in LA and we didn't get a showcase? What's that about? Can I also, I also just wanted to add um, to the question of like what, you know, what we should, recent graduates should do and whatnot is <clears throat> one of the things that like makes us as like people of color so powerful is, is our experience and our innate ability to read a room, our innate ability to have common sense, street smarts and book smarts. And we need to, I would invite you and demand that you rely on your own gut, on your own visceral experiences and, and not feel like you have to go outside of yourself or whatever, you know what I mean? Because we have everything that we need right here and you just need to like believe that. Absolutely. And so when you walk into an audition room, know that you're the best in that room. Mm -hmm. Know that you come with a full body of beauty and experience that could never be touched by someone who is not of color. Like, that's just true. That's just what it is. We have a wealth of experience just by the color of our, our skin because of the things that we have had to deal with from microaggressions, from code switching. You know what I mean? Like, these are just things and we don't think about it. It just happens. We just do it because it's so, you know what I mean? It's so routine that we just do it. So I, I would invite you to know that, that we already have all this greatness within us and it's just how we allow it to come out. You know what I mean? And definitely, do like, you know, um, Tish was just saying, Javonna was saying, like, and and I think Issa Rae definitely said it best when she said, you know, you gotta, you gotta go across the board. Like some of y'all trying to like go up 
before yeah, we saw you, Deja. You know what I mean? Some of y'all trying to go up before you even get there. You know what I mean? But you got you got people in your same class, I'm sure, or on your set, you know, or out in the world that are doing things and you need to connect with those people. You need to connect with as many specifically like, you know, black um thespians. Like meet these people, go to the functions. Um, I remember me, Giovanna, and some other people when Ruben Santiago Hudson was doing the August Wilson cycle plays mm -hmm. at the Green Room. We were there. Chadwick Boseman, before he even did Black Panther, was in one of those. Taraji P. Henson was in one of those. Felicia Rashad was in one. Yeah, girl, it was before he did Black Panther. <laughs> no, I was gonna say, and talk to them. Yeah. Don't don't, don't yeah. stand there. Go up, ask them. Yeah. Ask them for their advice. Ask them for whatever questions you have. Ask those questions. Yeah. Ask them if you can sit down with them. Yes. More she than like you say yes. She wasn't made a tish. She just, yo, she just low-key told you. <laughs> shot and made a tish. Hello, did you not catch it? It is a producer. Yeah. Low-key time. You know, I'm gonna spell it out for you. She said it low-key, but I'm just letting you know what she just said. Get your materials together. Send them to this woman. Know who know who's on this panel with you. Send your shit to Yamoria. Yamoria, you better stop acting too. She, yep. you know like Absolutely. you don't know. Absolutely. You're doing your thing or whatever. Yes, ma'am. Send your Mary, yes, you over there. You be writing plays and stuff, girl. Don't act like I don't know. Okay. I remember being in that reading with you, girl. So sit, you know what I'm saying? I'm just yeah. like, y'all don't know. <laughs> okay. don't know. Don't I, know I sat down with Dominic Morsell and she said, I, I am writing these for you. There are there are people out here, there are black folks out here writing for you, creating content for their people. You can create content for your people. You can create content for yourself. There is it's it's all here. It's all here. I didn't want it like my last comment would be for ASDS. So also like tap into the wealth of your alumni. You know, there are so many alumni that I can think of that like teach, they teach, you know? Um, and so, and they'll be willing to invest into other up and coming students, right? Um, so I think that that would be a really good thing that they can do, hire, hire some of us, you know, because um, we do know the craft, we were trained, you know, for this craft by you guys. Um, so invest in us that way. Uh, yeah, administration, all white administration. I think you, there needs to be black people on the uh, on. They needs to be black people in the administration, a part of the administration, staff, faculty, everybody. There needs to be black yeah. people everywhere, and they need to feel safe. And don't just bring them on and not allow them to feel safe. And there needs to be a space for that. Yes. And also, can I add? Um, to the because it's not just the staff and don't get me wrong um i love a lot of my white and um other minority counterparts that i went to school with but some of them um when you speak up about certain things i know for me i it was i was viewed as upset angry almost like i was animalistic and it was like, why are you so mad? Why are you so this? Why are you so that? And um, I would say to those types of our white peers, it just be more be more aware and understanding that, you know, your experience, you have no experience with 
a person like me and it may be very limited, but think about it from a black person's perspective, especially a black woman, because you're black and you're a woman, mm-hmm. you know, just think about how they are the only one in the room. I mean, they let four black girls in per year. That's systematic, you know? So, you know, it's not just the faculty, it's also the students can make make it a great environment, a better environment as well, because not all white people are bad, but it does take those individuals. Um, I'm gonna shout out my girl, Taylor Plays, um, because she was just so woke. Like she was more woke than I was. She called out the oppression that was happening against me and I didn't even know it sometimes. I mean, you see what she said with the rep- Javana on the reparations thing, couldn't even pronounce half of that. But um, I would say that be, be that type of person in the program, you know? Don't be afraid to work with a, 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 work with a black woman or black man don't be don't be afraid to to work with us because I felt like sometimes nobody wanted to work with me either, even when it was something, you know, something. So, you know, be open, be the change. Like, you know, like you are an artist. Like, and matter of fact, I'm calling out all all, all of our white peers because if you are an artist, it, like you have to represent the times. Like right. you, like being an artist is being bold. You are choosing to to change the world with your artistry so as an artist how dare you say you're this creative being and you don't want to take chances and you don't want to be bold or open-minded because that's not artistry so um and 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 mind you mind you I'm not talking about everybody in the program there were a lot of beautiful people but I would I would that's a call to action to all of our white ally peers, you know, um, be open, be aware. You know, it's 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 a beautiful thing for people to be like, I I'm aware of my white privilege. What can I do to help? Because you're aware, and then you're asked, you're focused on the solution. I I think that that's a beautiful place to start. You know, so just to piggyback real quick, Darquia, um, off of what you just said. I noticed in the chats and the messages on on um, ASDS past and present that a lot of white folks are saying um, they're checking in with themselves and saying, I did notice these things. I was aware of these things and I didn't speak up. If you feel that in your gut and you knew that, then that's something. I mean, I'm glad you're, you're realizing it now. But if you feel that in your gut, you know, to current ASDS students, um, white students, if you're feeling that right now, you need to speak up, period. Because what's happening is a human rights issue, period. It's a problem. And you have to stop. Don't don't let fear silence you. This is not the time. Yeah, and um, one thing, guys, I just really want to say something quickly. First up, big ups to Jeremiah Kip, guys. Jeremiah Kip gave me my first job as a producer on his on his project. So thank you, Jeremiah, for coming out here. He is a director, FYI. He hires a lot of people of color. He is a cinephile and very talented, you know, very, very talented director. He's directing one of my upcoming projects. I just did a project with him in October. 
He's a really, really talented director. And he loves casting women of color, FYI. So I'm just going to put that out there. Thank you, Jeremiah. And also, uh, one thing that I, I, I do want to do also is um, there are a lot of really great documentaries on Netflix, guys, that I think people can really take a look at. I'm Not Your Negro is so good. If you haven't seen it, please go see it. Also, they got to they gotta have us. It's so good. I just saw that. They got to have us. So if you really want to understand the Black experience in theater, the Black experience in film, from some of the legends and even um, some very current, you know, um, people, then I would really encourage people to go on Netflix and watch both of those um, those documentaries because they're very they're very awesome um, for our cinephiles out there. Um, so I just wanted to put that out put it out there. So ladies, um, oh. Bestie, can we ask them the protest question, please? Oh, okay. So, you know, because we know we can cut up here. Um, okay. Yeah. So, uh, I don't know if a lot of you, well, I know all of y'all have gone probably protesting, or maybe you haven't because activism has many faces, but I have gone protesting. And some of these chants are like hilarious. I'm sorry, I have to say, like, I have to say people are just super creative. So if you were, and maybe your maybe your chant may not be funny, but um, if you were leading a protest, what would your chant be? <laughs> like, that's a question. Oh, I want reparations. <laughs> Like, okay, like, like, I, like, I know, like, okay, so I went protesting on Saturday and it was like, um, no justice, no peace, no justice, no peace. Uh, and it was like, what does racism look like? NYPD, like, what does racism look like? NYPD, like, some, some, some at the police, like, it's like, like, and then people go, like, they come up with their own stuff and like you're just repeating it. And sometimes you have to like, wait a second, what am I saying? <laughs> so, um, <laughs> you know, one that one that I like and I got a kick out of it because they also, yes, lose your job, lose your job, lose your job. You lose your job because you is detaining me. Oh no, that is my jam. That yes! is my jam. I know that I literally listen to that song at least twice a day. I have put it in a couple of people's comments because <laughs> I told you, Tish, it is not just me. I have definitely like people that I've gone off on on my live. I have put that in their comments, like you no job. <laughs> I like because I saw a meme about it. So this 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 news company was like, oh, listen to the protesters. They're protesting the curfew because I don't um, <laughs> Right, you know what I'm about to say, right? The one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, ten, eleven, F twelve. <laughs> no. And the newscaster was like, oh, do you hear that? Do you hear that? Oh, they're they're protesting the perfume. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, that's exactly what we're doing. <laughs> For the culture, I love it. For the culture. I mean, I mean, you know, 
No justice, no peace. Fuck them racist police is always a good one. Yep. Oh, that's a good, good one. one. Yeah, that was the number one. So, mm, yeah, I love that one. I made one up just now because you said reparations. Yep. So, yep. Uh, reparations is an ally tool. Uh, time for that 40 acres and a mule. to an end um when we when we do uh, i really like this tool guys it's called Streamyard. i just started using it it's really awesome so anybody who likes to stream out there take a look at this thing but it, when we end this broadcast you still could be on so um does anybody else i want to say quickly in the comments do you have any additional questions for us before we give you like 30 seconds before we uh get off any questions from anybody in the program? <laughs> okay, Chris, tell them about tomorrow too. Oh yeah, so tomorrow, tomorrow, um, a good friend of mine, his name is Jeffrey Riddick. He's going, to, we're gonna have a conversation with him about racism in Hollywood. He uh, is a really talented guy who uh, created Final Destination. He's a black guy who created Final Destination five movies he wrote it he produced it he created it and he will tell you some really really great stuff about how he was treated um when uh you know from the studios and whatnot even though he had hundreds of millions of dollars that he was making from uh from the franchise will people be able to comment because that means that brother yes is the reason why I have PTSD anytime I pass a truck on the highway. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. yeah. I, I told him that. I told him that every time you see the logs, yes. you know the logs. Yeah. I'm, 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 yeah, but he's he's a really great person, and I think that he has a lot to say. Um, and he's a huge activist. If you if you check out his tweets on Instagram, uh, I mean on Instagram on Twitter. <laughs> get it right, Twitter, um, you know, you'll see that he um, he speaks out a lot about injustice. So I'm really excited for him to come tomorrow and I hope you guys can join us. So yes, thank you all for coming guys. Have a great night. We're about to end this broadcast. Bye y'all. So nice to see everybody. Thank you for this. Oh my God.